Blog Talk Radio. You want to replay the point? Okay. Mr. Vavrinka wants to replay the point. 15 on. Welcome to Replay the Point. Today is July 31st, 2017. Pete Z. Brown of Tennis Acumen joined by Karen Health of Tennis View Magazine. Good evening, Karen. Hi, Pete. How are you? Yeah, doing well. Great to have you on as usual. And welcome back to the United States after an extended tour of Europe. It must have been a great time. And uh, that said, you're back in the swing of things here in North America and heading up to Northern California fairly soon, uh, next couple of days and so forth. But uh, yeah, absolutely. And um, along those lines, Karen, before we get to the Stanford preview, I want to talk a little bit about some of the WTA action. Um, last week, uh, Caroline Wozniacki, incredibly, uh, five finals in 2017. And uh, not only is she yet to win a final this year, yet to win a set, yet to get to a fifth uh, game victory in any sets, uh, 0-10 in sets, just a, a staggering statistic for Caroline Wozniak in 17. Yeah, I mean, if you want to just point out that one statistic, but at the same time, to reach that many finals is yep. a pretty significant achievement, and I think something that she alluded to, I think it was in Eastbourne when the announcer kind of made light of the fact that she lost another final, and she said, well, yeah, but I've made it to another final as well. Um, and then, you know, there's a lot of strength in the field right now. I mean, look at the women's yep. top ten. You've got Pliskova at number one, Halep. Herbert's still in there. Obviously, she's kind of been the weak link this year. You've got Garbine back in there, Svitolina. And then, interestingly, six, eight, nine, and ten, Wozniacki, Svetlana Kuznetsova, Venus Williams, Agnieszka Radwanska, content in the middle at number seven now, dealing with some injuries. So, you know, I mean, I think, yeah, if you want to pull out one stat and look at it that way, and, you know, I think you've pointed some things out to me. But when you take a look at the whole picture, how long she's been on tour, her style of play, which is running down a lot of balls, played a lot of tennis, um, making these finals, and she's sitting at number six in the world, which, you know, is not an easy place to be. So I don't know. I, you know, yeah, I'm sure it's disappointing. I'm sure she's noodling it over trying to figure out what's going on. And maybe there is something psychologically that she's struggling with in those final matches. Um, but as far as this year goes, she's a strong performer, you know, uh, maybe not that... in the way that some people look at it because they only look at titles, but look at Marin Chilich. I mean, he was an incredibly strong performer on grass, um, despite the final. And, and I'd like to chat, chat about that when we get to it a little later. Mm-hmm. Now, it's a great call. And, and I recall uh, a couple of years ago in Cincinnati, I actually, at the WTA roundtable, asked Angie Kerber a question saying, you know, almost comparable to where Caroline is right now, saying you, you've reached all these finals. 
you haven't been able to get the wins in finals. Her face sort of dropped a little bit. I mean, it was a realistic question. It certainly wasn't yeah. point blank, and she acknowledged that. But uh, almost a similar look on her face is like, hey, you know, I, I've made the strides. I've reached finals. Uh, it's a lot more than a lot of what a lot of people can say. And obviously, since that point in time, Angie Kerber has corrected course, you know, number one in the world for over 20 weeks, et cetera, uh, looking to find her way back in two, 2017. But I agree with you, uh, a solid year for Caroline Wozniacki, someone who, you know, uh, Words were out there a year, year and a half ago that uh, she may even indeed retire. So uh, number six mm-hmm. in the world, uh, fighting hard and uh, putting herself in position to win win titles. Right, and you know she brought Sasha onto her team as well, and I think she is trying to rework her game in some you know subtle, fine detail ways, and mm-hmm. that takes time, you know, especially when yep. you've played for as long as she has, and you know you have your muscle memory and you kind of have your go to game that maybe isn't working as well for you now and you need to find ways to change it up so it's not a light switch that you flip <laughs> by any means so um you know I, I i think six is a pretty strong shot for her and we're going into hard courts she's pretty good mm-hmm. on hard courts <laughs> yep so you know i've uh, seen her win at indian wells and you know a few other places so let's see what she can do uh, but also you know look again i the other big standout for me is i am so impressed with svetlana kuznetsova right now too yep. um you know so much mileage on her so much playing time you know star and eastbourne i think again she's played like three matches in one day and you know <laughs> just amazing so no, good call. And, uh, you know, concurrent to Bastad in, in Sweden, we had the Nanchang tournament in China. And uh, shout out to Peng Shui, second career tournament uh, title of her career. A uh, little hard to believe. I mean, this is a, a, a name that's uh, sort of household among the te- tennis aficionados, if you will, but uh, maybe mm-hmm. not so much among uh, other sports fans. But, uh one name that they would point out would be Elena Yankovic, who, you know, obviously she was one of the first Karen to uh, jump with the Asian clothing line, so she's got an affiliation there. A little surprising, though, that, uh, you know, she lost in the second round to number 313, Lou. Um, I, I'm, uh, I'm hoping all is well with Yelena Yankovic, but I'm not so sure at this point. Yeah, I, you know, I don't really know. I haven't had a chance to see any of that to be honest with you and um mm-hmm. you know we know her to be such a fighter she's mentally tough and you know she'll go to the mat <laughs> typically when yeah. she gets pushed uh in fact star i think do that last year on the uh one of the not the main court in cincinnati but the the other court number two um mm-hmm. so you know i haven't looked into too much haven't heard anything injury wise or anything like that but you know you never know they're all playing with something and um sure who knows could be could be a list of 101 things and everyone has a bad day you know with the tennis player they just happen to be on court and everyone's watching so you know that happens too yep good call and and uh we're going to switch gears a little bit to some of the action that took place Last week, uh, last the, actually a couple of days ago, Sunday in Hamburg, ATP, incredible, lucky loser, second consecutive week. In this case, Leonardo Meyer, Argentina, wins his second career mm-hmm. title, uh, defeats uh, 
Florian Meyer, who's from Germany in the final, Meyer uh, won a 500 last year. Uh, Leonardo Meyer, on the other hand, is going to skyrocket in the rankings. I think he's going to gain about 100 points with respect to winning a 500. Mm-hmm. Good for him. Uh, this is a tournament, Karen, last year, Martin Kleson won this. Uh, you know, this is a big tournament, a 500. I kind of scratched my head uh, why the ATP has a 500 on clay this particular week. Um, we're mm-hmm. after Wimbledon. We're in between Wimbledon and the U.S. Open. The you know, a couple weeks before the uh, ATP season gets underway with the Masters 1000s in Canada, and then Cincy, and then into the hardcore season, the U.S. Open final. Uh, excuse me. U.S. Open uh, Championship. I, it does not compute, but uh, credit these guys for finding a way, taking advantage of the system, uh, as well as a weak draw. And Leonardo Meyer, we had a, we had a final with two guys whose ranking was over the 100s in Hamburg. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, again, I didn't get a chance to see much of this. I've, I've taken a little bit of a tennis hiatus because being away for yep. three months had a few things to do <laughs> before I leave again. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, and, and I agree with you on this whole, you know, how do you after grass season flip back to clay, but at the same time, right. you know, different regions of the world are better served having one surface or the other. And if they can get a tournament and get sponsors, they're certainly going to do it. So, you know, um, it, it's interesting to see. And also, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I'd have to look at what he played, but I don't know if he did much playing on grass anyway. And did he kind of skip the grass season and just stick with clay? And now we'll move to hard court. You know, I mean. Yeah, and I, I, just, I, I'm I, a I don't bit of a. Name too much. Yeah, I'm a bit of a traditionalist. I'm still personally a little bit stung that Hamburg had their Masters 1000 taken from them. Uh, Shanghai has now replaced that, and uh, Hamburg used to be the last 1000 on clay, leading into mm-hmm. Roland Garros. Obviously, the deck has been reshuffled. Rome uh, has moved around, and now uh, you know Madrid is there as well, uh, and now Shanghai has taken the place of uh yeah, it, the ATP has really shuffled the deck. But uh, Hamburg, you know, this was a, a once proud tournament that was a Masters 1000 on clay, the lead up into Roland Garros, and now it's it's lost in the shuffle, if you will, uh, between mm-hmm. Wimbledon and the U.S. Open on clay. It's a, reduced to a 500. The draw has been decimated, but, um, you know, good for the people of Hamburg who, who still turn out for that. And, uh, Karen, before we shift over to the U.S., uh, uh, open series in Atlanta. I just want to give a shout out to Fabio Fognini, won his fifth career title, uh, another one on clay, defeated Yannick Hoffman of Germany, a qualifier who got all the way to the final. Uh, nice for Fognini to get that win. Um, do want to point out, though, something that uh, was not off the radar. David Goffin, obviously coming back from the Injury, horrific injury at Roland Garros. Uh, lost in his second match to Robin Hase, but uh, David Goffin still finding his way back. Yeah, and I'm just happy to see him out playing again. You know, I really didn't know after seeing that kind of gruesome footage of what happened with the, the court mm-hmm. cover, how serious it was going to be and really was it going to take him out for the rest of the season. So just nice to see him back on court. have to say having visited Belgium, I can see mm-hmm. where his congeniality comes from because these are some of the just most pleasant people I've ever met. Yeah. <laughs> and so 
it, it, it fits with his personality. Nice guy, hard worker. Um, so good to see him back. No, I agree. Of the of the 23 countries I've been to personally in, in Europe, uh, Belgium is way up there at the very top, and I agree with you. It's maybe a bit under the radar for people looking to uh, uh, visit the major cities in Europe, but I like you, I, I thoroughly enjoy Belgium. Always have had a great experience, wonderful people there. So, uh, yeah, we wish David Goffin all the best. And we had a 250 here in the U.S., Karen, uh, John Isner, Incredibly, wins two titles in eight days. He won Newport last week, wins Atlanta for the fourth time. Um, credit to him. Master service class, if you will. Yep. 61 aces, seven double faults. John Isner really feeling it. Uh, credit to Ryan Harrison, uh, looking to win his second title of the year. Didn't happen. Lost in two very long tiebreakers to Isner. But, uh, yeah, Atlanta that can have hot and stifling conditions. Isner, obviously, from North Carolina, but played college ball at University of Georgia, got the job done yet again. Yeah. You know, and for John, I think he's – I don't want to say he's out of the radar, but basically I'd say in the last year, maybe year and a half, you know, the I think the focus and shift, has been more Jack Sock, has been more Steve mm-hmm. Johnson, so he's sort of been in the background a little bit more. And, you know, I think people have been questioning <clears throat> what he's going to be able to produce because he's not a super young guy anymore either. He's 32, um, been yep. on the tour for quite a while. Tall guys sometimes have issues as well. You know, I think he's had some back issues. And interestingly, I actually asked Marin Chilich at Queens a little bit about his own ability being so tall and having that knee bend that Mm. we just see John struggle with sometimes. And when he doesn't get the knee bend and he's standing, you know, more upright, that ball goes straight into the net. And, you know, he alluded to the fact he addressed, he said, well, you know, yeah, John's got a couple of things. And he said, the thing I think that helps me the most is I really have a lot of great flexibility and, and it's something that's harder for the tall guys to have. And I do think that's, something that John struggles with. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see leading into hard court, you know, great motivation to win any title, as we know. Yep. And certainly I think, you know, he's wanting to get himself back up there. I think he's going to overtake Jack Sock now as well in the rankings. Um, so all very positive. And, hey, hot, humid Atlanta is great preparation for Cincy and the U.S. Open. So. Yeah, couldn't couldn't agree more. And I'll turn back the clock a little bit, uh, Karen, four or five years ago. uh, You know, Isner has had some success in Masters 1000s. These were back-to-back press conferences, and uh, none other than Juan Martín del Potro said, you know, John Isner is a guy that I don't like to think about facing. I don't think anybody on the Mm -hmm. ATP likes to think about playing him. Rafael Nadal said, you know, there's no excuse why this guy is not in the top ten all the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, Those are big words uh, from two of the most respected guys in the ATP Tour. Uh, John Isner, unfortunately, you know, for tennis fans, more of a wrestling fan, pro football fan, uh, I personally think he treats tennis more as a hobby than anything. And, and again, if I had a couple words to say to John, you know, tennis, your, your shelf life is only so long. 
let's match mm-hmm. it out while we can. And uh, you got the rest of your life to watch football and wrestling on the couch. Uh, let, let's let's crush it while we can. But maybe, perhaps, Karen, John Isner has corrected course in the last couple of weeks. And as you mentioned, ideal preparation coming into the hot and humid conditions in Cincy and New York. Yeah. You know, and I agree with you on all of those statements from the other players, and I will tell you one of my favorite matches, and, and normally I wouldn't be as excited about this, but was John Isner playing Milos Raonic at Indian mm-hmm. Wells. And, you know, you basically just knew the first guy to double fall lost <laughs> the match, you know. I mean, yeah. honestly, it was it was so intense because, you know, Obviously, the serve weapons for both of these guys are amazing, and to see them, you know, put up head to head like that, and to have the suspense for as long as it went on—I cannot remember the score—and I'm not going to try to find it right now. But it was something to see, <laughs> and uh, you know, one of those rare matchups that you just remember because it, it's unique in that way. And um, you know, when somebody has a weapon that big. It's it's formidable, but I, I agree with you on the aspect of um, you know I I don't know John, but I've never seen him really as a player that gets that fired up. Um, mm-hmm. I, I've seen him on occasion on certain points, um, but I I just don't see him consistently kind of pumped up. I mean, again, I'll give the example of Dennis Shapovalov playing Kyle Edmund, he, I think, is up a break and is serving for the match. Kyle Edmund mm-hmm. is sitting flat in his chair, kind of just looking around at the crowd, and Shapovalov is in his chair going, come on, come on, come on. I mean, he just was like, I'm closing this. I'm not going to let up. And you can't really teach that. I think that's, like, the nature of the person. But I think sometimes you can find a coach to kind of find ways to bring that out in you a little bit. And then to me, I've often thought that John really needs a coach that a mental coach and, and somebody that can really work on that with him because he's got a lot of skills. I mean, he's, you know, he's not going to be the best mover just because it's awfully hard to be, you know, as tall as he is, have the build that he has, but you know, he has a lot of great skills that, you know, in quoting Andy Murray, you know, you maximize your potential of what you have and the skills that you have, and, and that's the way you play your game. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what he can do with this year. I think playing at home also is helpful to him. You know, Americans yep. do get behind their players. There's good crowd support, especially at the U.S. Open. So, um, let's, you know, keep an eye on John and see, see where he's going. No, completely agree. And, you know, with Sam Querrey reaching the semis of, of Wimbledon this year, Karen, uh, he not only matched his quarterfinal appearance last year at Wimbledon, he surpassed that. It, it bears to uh, bring of note that John Isner has only, in his career, you know, has only, received, only reached one quarterfinal in a major. And that's a little head-scratching given who mm-hmm. he is, what he brings to the table. Uh, that was at the U.S. Open a number of years ago. But, who knows what this uh, good fortune might bring for him going forward. And that turns my attention right now since we are coming into the North American hardcourt season. Jack Sock, a uh, little bit of a question mark right now. Kyle Edmund, uh, the talented young Brit who I have very high hopes for, 
Uh, Jack Sock, however, only won five games against Kyle Edmund. And, you know, Ed, Edmund, this is someone who uh, had a little bit of an injury against Sock and carried forward, and he wasn't able to continue his next match. But all of a sudden, we're, we're wondering, we're scratching our head about Jack Sock, who uh, had some good results earlier in 2017, and yet now... You mentioned John Isner did pass him as the world number uh, top American, and all of a sudden, I don't, I don't quite know what to make of Jack Sock. Uh, your thoughts on that? If you've seen him earlier this year, uh, you know, I, I haven't seen too much of him up close. Didn't see him at Eastbourne. Mm-hmm. Saw him roaming around at Queens Club, but I think he had an injury there, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so to be honest, I, I can't really say that that I have too much to add to this one. Um, mm-hmm. You know, again, though, he's, I, I, you know, he's at that cusp. He's 24 now, so he certainly has kind of that window of opportunities. We know, given the age of the players and when people really start to climb in the rankings and where that, you know, you referred to with John, you know, you only have so much of a shelf life and, and you got to yeah. make the most of that time. I mean, I think he, he is kind of in that spot. Um, you know, don't know too much else, though, in terms of psychology or anything like that. Something to definitely watch also as we go into these the hard courts and look forward to seeing him at Cincinnati. But, um, but you know, even with his performance, though, I think he's always suffered a bit with consistency. You know, mm-hmm. he's he can play really well, but sustaining it day after day, week after week, um, has not been something he's mastered yet, I guess is what I would say. Yep, good call, absolutely. And we mentioned at the top of the show, Karen, you're off to Stanford, I believe, tomorrow, and uh, that'll be thrilling for you to be able to be there Maria Sharapova in action. She had a nice three-set win tonight over Jen Brady. Petra Kvitova also in action. Garbina Muguruza, number one seed. I want to just ask you a little bit. I've been on the campus of Stanford University. I've not uh, been there for tennis, but I think you've been there a few times. But uh, your anticipation in, in heading into Stanford, what are you looking most forward to covering when you're there this week? Well, you know, I was looking at the draw, and some of the matches, the potential matches that I've kind of listed, there's Skivoni and Kvitova, which I just mm-hmm. think will be very interesting. I don't even know if they've ever played each other. I'm going to have to look that up. Um, Cece Bellis and Elise Cornet of France. You know, both mm-hmm. of these girls, Venus Williams described Bellis last year after playing her at Stanford as feisty, and she is. Mm. Um, and it was a compliment. Again, I want to reiterate it was a compliment because yeah. somebody tried to make it into something negative that it wasn't. And, um, you know, uh, Elise is a feisty woman, so I think this is going to be a very yep. passionate match. So that's one I'm looking forward to. Um, Key Sharapova is a possibility. So, again, yep. what can Madison bring to the table, especially with the home court? I think, again, there's going to be a lot of support. And then... Um, Nicole Gibbs is playing, and of course, with her having been at Stanford as an actual student, <clears throat> there's huge support from her. I mean, the whole crowd, Gibbsy, Gibbsy. So um, yep. that'll be just fun to, you know, <clears throat> fun to be in that environment. As you know, college environment is, is different. Um, but 
you know, looking forward to seeing all the top ones. Also looking forward to seeing um, Coco because Coco yep. and Petra on the bottom of the draw, and then Garbini, uh, Maria, and Madison I noted on the top. So um, it, it, the thing is going to be interesting. You know, Coco's been another American with some really good performance, but then not as consistent as she's going to need to be to sustain, you know, a top level ranking. Um, so I don't know. I guess if there's a word for Americans, maybe it's we need to work on our consistency as all players do, but you know, we've kind of said it a couple times tonight. No, sure. And I, I think you've, uh, this will be, uh, not your first time to Stanford, I believe, Karen. Is, is there anything no, that you yeah. – yeah, can you compare this tournament to uh, anywhere on the tour? Uh, or is oh, it is boy. it comparable to anything, if you will? You know, it's not a whole lot bigger than Carlsbad was, to be mm-hmm. honest with you. Um, you know, uh, there's really only one major show court. Uh, it, it's small. And, you know, for the draw that I'm looking at and the lineup of names, and unfortunately we would have had Victoria Azarenka too, but she's out with a virus. I mean, look at these names, Misaki Doi, Kayla Day, which I'm very excited to see her again because I saw her at Indian Wells and she did quite well this year. Um, Very uh, positive, upbeat, uh, somewhat aggressive player. And Mm -hmm. seems like she loves being in the spotlight. We mentioned Madison. We've got Coco. We've got Allison Riss, Pavla Chankova, Cece Bellis, Nicole Gibbs. I'm going to mention this one, too, because I'm starting to see her more and more. Lara Arabarena, I think it is, of Spain. Mm-hmm. Um, Naomi Osaka, Sharapova, Kvitova, Schiavone. You know, for, I was yeah. thinking about it tonight. It's like for a 32 draw, it's pretty yep. packed. And it to me is almost comparable to what Queens club was like on grass with the men, you know, small draw, but boy, the big names are all in there. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I I just think it's quite an exciting lineup. Unfortunately, Conta is not here this year and this was her first title WTA title last year. So she's not able to defend. So that's, that's a little bit of a shame, but I'm sure somebody else is more than happy to step up and take it this year. So we'll see who that's going to be. No, I, I think that's a great analogy with respect to Queens, uh, the ATP 500. And, and again, this being a somewhat smaller tournament, I mean, we're in a big market in the San Francisco mm-hmm. Bay area, but at the same point in time, it's uh, a little under the radar uh, tennis wise, if you will, uh, even though the big names are there and, Karen, concurrent to Washington on the other side of the country in Washington, D.C. Again, we've got another ATP 500 going on, but we'll talk about that in a bit. But we're going to shift our attention to the WTA action. Sloane Stevens uh, back in uh, back on court, a wild card. Uh, she gets none other than the wa- number one seed, Simona Holop, in the first round. But yeah. also Simona Holop doing double duty. Uh, I, lo- I really like this for both players. Sloane Stevens playing dubs with Jeannie Bouchard, and then another very intriguing doubles partnership, Sabina Lisicki, the Wimbledon finalist, uh, with with Ledenovich. Uh, I yeah, don't yeah. quite understand that, but I like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do too. It's interesting. Um, you know, and Sabine played doubles with Martina Hingis, we mentioned a while back. So, yeah. um, you know, she, she knows the way around the doubles. Uh, court, if you will, and 
uh, certainly Kiki has made a name for herself in doubles and singles, really, in the last year and a half. So mm-hmm. um, it'll be interesting to see what they can produce. And I, I haven't seen any footage of them playing together. So yeah. it'll be an interesting opportunity just to see what that teamwork is like. And Kiki was playing with Kuznetsova in doubles earlier this year, too. So, mm-hmm. um, boy, she, she's she's kind of getting some interesting partners with, a lot of history and experience on her side. No, good call. I, I, I really like it a lot uh, this early on, if you will, in, on the U.S. Open Series hardcourt uh, series to, to play doubles as mm-hmm. Sloan Stevens, Bouchard, Lisicki, and Mladenovic are doing. We'll, we'll see, Karen, possibly in a couple weeks and see how that may indeed play uh, pay dividends going forward. The ATP side, we've got a 500 going on, and it's a pretty quiet. I mean, I, I have to admit, I looked at the qualifying draw, and uh, I did not know too many names in the ATP qualifying draw. That said, uh, the first couple rounds, we're going to get through those, but um, potential blockbuster third-round matchups, including Nishikori Del Potro, Alexander mm-hmm. Zverev and Kyrgios, uh, Dominic Team Anderson, and Grigor Dimitrov, Steve Johnson, uh, John Isner did pull out of this. That's understandable after playing two weeks of tennis. But, wow, mm-hmm. uh, all of a sudden the Washington 500, Roundage even accepted a wild card into this tournament as well. Yeah, well, you know, I think it's also kind of a, a I don't know, all I can think of is a symptom of the season that we're having, mm-hmm. which is I think there's just been so much opportunity for so many players this year. And so wherever they're seeing that chance to get in there and get, you know, match court time and also potentially boosting their ranking, boosting their confidence, of course, heading into the U.S. Open, um, they're going to do it. And, again, for fans, I think it it makes for a great experience, you know, because you're seeing people show up in places that, they might not otherwise. I mean, at Queens, when Andy lost, they even asked him if he was going to consider Eastbourne, and he said, you know, I've <laughs> never been in this position before. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I have to think about it, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, there is a strategy, you know, get enough matches in there but not wear yourself out. So, um, uh, yeah, gentle blend of choices that they yeah. have to make. Yeah, a couple couple oddball questions for you coming up. Uh, we got the Washington mm-hmm. 500. Sam Sam Query, Karen, reaches the Wimbledon semifinals. He opts not to play in the United States. He's playing a 250 in Mexico, Los Cabos, uh, going mm-hmm. there rather than playing a 500. Burdich, uh, of all people, number one seed, takes a wild card into Los Cabos. Um, head scratchers, both of those. Uh, all, you know, taking a look at the whole Los Cabos draw, Escobedo, the young American who uh, is looking to make strides and continue to do so, taking on Verdasco in the first round. But I, you know, Sam Query, three, four years ago in Cincinnati, you know, point blank, I'm not going to play 250s anymore. It's just not worth it, uh, 500 mm-hmm. or greater. Here we got a 500 in the nation's capital, and he goes to Mexico to play a 250, that being uh, a Final Four player at Wimbledon. I'm not so sure I understand this logic. How about yourself? Um, I'm guessing there's money involved. 
Yeah. I mean, there are appearance fees, and there are things that new tournaments do to attract people. Um, mm-hmm. Also, maybe let's take a look at the sponsors of that event. Is there any kind of affiliation there? I mean, you know, we all like to think it's all about, you know, nobility and, uh, you know, people being above board of those kind of things. But let's face it, it is a business. It is the yep. way they make their living. And if somebody's going to, I don't know, throw $200,000 your way to come to Mexico when the weather's yep. pretty nice and it's not too far of a flight to get back to the yep. United States, the time zone's not a killer change, uh, I, you know, I don't know. Um, you can't blame anyone for doing that. Uh, that'd be my guess. I could be wrong, and I stress I'm guessing, but, you know. Yep. Um, and, and also, though, I think for some of the players, too, you know, I thought about this myself. Like, to be honest, after being on the road for three months, kind of the last thing I wanted to do when I came home was sat down and watch tennis. And I mentioned I haven't watched much recently. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, these guys are doing this every year. They've been to the same places year after year. So it also might be shake it up a little, go somewhere different, see something different. You know, how many times have you played in Washington? I and mean, you've seen the place, right. you know the course, you know the hotels, you know the restaurants. So could be some of that too, you know. And, hey, wouldn't it be fun to, you know, to be one of the first people to win the title? I mean, you know, I think there's all kinds of things that can play in. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I don't know, my thoughts, that's all. <laughs> no, good good call. I like that. And, and concurrent, Karen, uh with Washington 500, Los Cabos 250, we still, as I mentioned, uh, we had a, a 500 on clay in Hamburg last week uh, that Meyer, Leonardo Meyer defeated Florian Meyer. We got a 250 thrown in the mix, Kitzbühel, Austria. Um, mm-hmm. Interesting names, though. Cuevas, Fognini, who just won last week as well, Jill Simone. Uh, they're all going to play Cincinnati, and yet here they are in a 250 the week before the Canada Masters, uh, questionable preparation. I have to say, when I went to the Rogers Cup in Toronto 11 years ago, Nikolai Davidenko won the Sopot Poland, now defunct mm-hmm. Sopot Poland 250. And uh, this is the the year before the ATP uh, gave top eight uh, seeds by. So Davidenko won Sopot Poland on a Sunday, and he's in Toronto on a Monday just had nothing in the tank, as you can imagine, lost that. But um, I, I'm I'm wondering um, what Cuevas, well, he's more of a clay court guy, but Fognini and Simone, uh, as you mentioned, with Query, could be money involved. They're staying in Europe for as long as they can until they come over. Yeah, it may very well be. And, and you know, um, also, what are the odds? That I can get a title on clay. Yep. Versus coming and playing on a hard court. I mean, even Fabio, mm-hmm. I'd have to say, eh, I'd, I'd still pick him on clay before I would pick him on hard court. Yeah. For a title. Yeah. For a title. Yep. Uh, yeah. So. No, completely agree. And um, Karen, before we wrap up, uh, I, again, you are off to Stanford tomorrow, so. Um, want to get your thoughts uh, again if you want to elaborate a little bit on um, what you're hoping to expecting to see and how long you're going to be there and obviously I'll see you in uh, in uh, less than two weeks in Cincinnati but I uh, want to ask you uh, what you are looking most forward to at Stanford this week 
you know, just the fact that it, it's a small event, yet it's got big names. It's a very intimate experience. There's not a bad seat on the court. I mentioned some of the matchups already. And also, interestingly, um, we've got Coco Vandewey playing doubles with Spears, Jennifer Brady playing doubles with Madison Keys. So that'll also be interesting. And Nicole Gibbs with Christy on. Uh, you know, and with this kind of draw and the names, you know, it's just interesting to see the mixture of, I will call, I don't want to call them older, <laughs> the more experienced class, Giovanni, uh, mm-hmm. Kvitova, Sharapova. Uh, you know, I'll even put Coco in there maybe as a little bit. And then you've got, you know, players like Naomi Osaka. You've got Cece Bellis. So it, it's a nice mixture of some more yep. experienced players. And then Kyla Day coming in there and kind of seeing what these younger ones can do. Uh, and then you know, what kind of uh, wall the more experienced players put up for them and the kind of challenges. And I, I think there'll probably be some surprises coming out of this uh, and looking forward to seeing how they go. You know, that's tennis. You never know. And that that's what I love about no, it. No, absolutely. Uh, uh, absolutely thrilled, Karen, that you're, you're going to be able to be there uh, for the remainder of the majority of, of this week and uh, look forward to, to get your thoughts uh, and insights next week on replay the point. So uh, any other uh, questions, comments, uh, quips that you want to uh, share before we sign off tonight? Um, Just two quick things. Um, You mentioned Zverev earlier, and apparently at the City Open, he has shown up with Juan Carlos Ferrero on his coaching staff now, which is interesting. So, um, Interesting choice and going to see what he can do. I, I saw a headline saying Ferrero's been impressed with what he's seeing with him, which doesn't surprise me. Uh, so, uh, you know, Zverev has been one that I've watched for quite a while, and, of course, he's made a name for himself in the last 12 to 15 months. And then I just want to tip back briefly to Wimbledon because when I got home, so many people said, I mean, what happened to Marin? And was he having a panic attack or what? And I, mm-hmm. I thought, what? And people were saying some of the announcers were actually making comments to that effect. And I thought, you know, I, I almost took a picture of my foot the other day because I had new sandals when I was walking, and I ended up <laughs> with two, blis- two blisters on the top, not the bottom, on the top and the side. Yep. And I could barely walk. And it was mm-hmm. incredibly painful. And Marin's foot was a mess. And he said, before he even went out there, he knew in practice he was kind of testing it out to see how bad it was. So mm-hmm. I think what we saw there was just an incredible level of disappointment and an incredible amount of frustration, you know, to play as well as he has. Look, he should have, could have, would have won Queens. And Feliciano yep. would yep. say the same thing and, in fact, did in press. And – you know, shows up in the final against Roger Federer and then pretty much can't run. So, mm-hmm. you know, you know what it's like. you got to push off your foot to serve. His serve is a big weapon. I mean, you got to push off your feet to do everything. But, you know, I, I just was kind of bothered by the fact that people kept saying that to me, and I thought, well, it was obvious. But uh, anyway, yeah. so I, I, I just kind of like to correct course on that a little bit. <laughs> and, you know, and I also think he didn't take the medical time out maybe earlier because a according to the rules are you really supposed to and what could they really do other than maybe mm-hmm. 
numb his foot or something. I mean, but I don't think they can give him an injection or anything like that. So um, I, I can't imagine. I'd be in tears. I'd I'd be livid and frustrated and angry and any other thing I can think of. So um, unfortunate. You know, because I think it could have been an amazing final had he no been great able call to have and I, I his physicality. Yeah, great call. I appreciate your insight. Someone who was was there, and obviously uh, we stateside just had ten, uh, television commentary, and and again, those of us who know the game were able to try and figure out maybe possibly what was going on. But uh, Karen, that's great insight. I agree. And anybody who's walked a long time and choose consecutive days and whatnot and having the blisters, last thing you want to do is walk again, let alone play a, a major final against Roger Federer. But uh, that's what uh, mm-hmm. Marin Cilic was, was up for. So a valiant effort for him to even reach that uh, that stage. Absolutely. Yeah, and, I, I uh, think a lot of players yeah. would have walked over I won't name names, but there, there yeah. are a few that I'm sure would have just went out there, maybe played the first two games, and then came over and shook hands at the net. So the fact that he tried to even stay in it to me was quite something. Yeah. No, and I, I'll, I'll point one thing out. I don't know if you're aware of this because you were, you were there, but uh, it was pointed out on television. Obviously, after the medical timeout and he was in tears and not feeling mm-hmm. well, uh, he cracked the biggest serve of his tournament, actually, uh, I think a game or two after that medical timeout. So you could just, you could sense that, you know, that the the competitive juices were still there. He, he recognized mm-hmm. where he was and what it was all about. And it was just sort of like, uh, you got to be kidding me. I'm just going to lash out at this and uh, try and take it on on Fed the best I can. I might not be able to win this match or even this game or this set but i'm i'm still i'm still going down fighting even though my body or let alone my feet are denying me so um yeah that was that really spoke volumes if you will for me for Marin chilich the fact that he mm-hmm. cracked his big service tournament uh two games after the medical timeout but yeah un- unfortunate again Marin chilich karen the 2016 Cincinnati Western and Southern Open champion just played some brilliant tennis last year, uh, you know, 49, 50 weeks ago. I look forward to that coming up here in Ohio in a few weeks. Yeah, and former U.S. Open champion. So, you know, he's yep. ranked number six right now. Again, yep. not too shabby. <laughs> so, okay. No, completely agree. And um, uh, any last words before we wrap tonight, Karen? And now, it's just great to talk to you and really looking forward to seeing you face-to-face in Cincy. So it's going to be a great time. Absolutely. And safe travels, uh, Karen, from San Diego to Stanford, California this week. And, again, uh, on behalf of Pete Zebron, uh, on behalf of Karen Elf, this is Pete Zebron saying good night. We'll catch you next week on Replay the Point, and we'll be live in Cincinnati in a couple weeks' time. Good night.